I'm saying? Like, and when you feel like it's nobody you can turn to or when it's shit start getting real out here. <laughs> I know how it is, man. drinking age now welcome to the podcast this is uh this is a podcast where i explore artistic tastes creative risks and the legacies of various musical human beings with a dash of grit and a scotch of humility my guest this week is nicolay you might know him as one half of the foreign exchange with fontigolo fonte i've been a fan of his for over a decade and i'm quite excited to host him for a bit and share a story with you guys for someone who burst into the limelight with a project founded thousands of miles away from his collaborator, it's a new world to rely upon close improvisational collaboration with your musical partners. Listen, I don't know what it takes to be a household name or to have millions of people hear your music, but what I do know is that in every man's life, they come to a crossroad, and you have to figure out how much you're willing to sacrifice in order to obtain success. It seems intimidating, but eye-opening all at once. That's right, the journey from City Lights to Foreign Exchange, up through his latest project, Glacier, with the hot at nights. Hey, listen, if you like what I do, visit the website at bedroombeethovens.com. It's got all the info on the guests, videos, and social channels like Instagram and YouTube, all in one convenient spot. I am Cello, your fearless host, and... It's the Bedroom Beethoven Podcast. Yeah, this this podcast is a it's appropriately titled because I think you're like the perfect candidate for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my bedroom right now. Yeah, wax poeting the Daft Punk generation a little bit. Yeah, for sure. For yeah, d- literally, yes. I think yeah. the I think the whole thing with the whole bedroom process it's it's a thing uh, that a lot of producers don't have, and that's trust with their artists. Like a lot of artists want to control when they're in the studio, but. I can tell, like, anyone that you work with, you're probably like, hey, you know, if you want to pull up a chair and see how the sausage is made, be my guest. But you're probably not going to stick around afterwards. So let me just do my thing. You do yours. And then let's make some magic. Yeah, that really uh, that really sums it up. Like, even to the to the extent of we joke, like, you know, just show me the burger. I don't need to see everything before that. I think that a lot of people even ask us to this day because we started literally essentially as you said as bedroom producers in the sense that we produce the music literally in our bedrooms largely because we were you know separated by an ocean but that, that there was another sort of component to it which was like we we just didn't know any better it's like you said the deaf punk generation where people just have a bunch of equipment and usually a computer in their room at, you know, once once we got started making music, that was enough. And so nowadays people ask us, like, I'm sure at this point you guys are like in a fancy big room and, and 
honestly, we're doing it the same exact uh, same way as we did like 20 years ago, you know, same way in literally in the, in a bedroom. I mean, it's not a bedroom as in like, I do not sleep in the room. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's a room that was originally, you know, intended as a bedroom, I suppose. Well, I wanted to talk a bit about how I was introduced to you. True story. Um, because it, it was before foreign exchange and all that. I, so I was in college about 14 years ago, maybe, you know, 13, 14 years ago. And I discovered this little song called the Williams and uh, your your beat hooked me in before I even knew who you were, and it was an artist named uh, Superstition, I believe. Yeah. Uh, the the concept of the song, for those who don't know, basically Bill is a nickname for a person named William. So maybe your your Bill, who's your friend growing up, maybe when he's a successful businessman and he wants to be taken seriously, he wants to be called William. So it was this clever concept of adulting, like it being hard and your bills are sitting on the kitchen counter so long. They're no longer bills, they're William. I'm so tired of my life right now. I got stacks and stacks of bills. Got bill collectors calling me, harassing me every day. They even call me by my nickname now. People ask me what's wrong. I just tell them I got the Williams. Y'all feel right, right. Golden concept. A really, really strong concept. Even back then, I, I, I loved it. It was a strong concept, and it was also around a time where, uh, growing up, I was watching a lot of Comic View on BET, and every comedian would just talk about bill collectors. Like, that was like... The, the topic of discussion so coupled with that and the song the williams i was on the cusp of graduating college and being out of my own so i was scared so so much <laughs> right. to like go out and, but the song was a jam and it really was my introduction to you that's amazing that's a good start man i um that's that's about as good as a start as any i think that was one that i was very proud of at the time i'm tired of changing my voice on the phone man these bill collectors really breaking a nigga down right now Hell, my bill's so old, I'm starting to call him William now. Oh, y'all don't laugh. Some of y'all got the Williams, too. I know. Um, it was really during the, sort of my, what I now call kind of my first wave, um, which is, you know, I, I first got into, um, you know, making beats, really kind of combining, I think, my love for playing instruments with, with the art of sampling, or at least my interpretation of that. And the Williams is one of those tracks that's it kind of, really is a good example of how i started out but there's a there's a fairly strong sample but there's a lot going on sort of under there that that ideally sort of masks what else is going on and um i was very proud of the track when we at the time when we recorded it so much so that i really pushed to have it on that compilation that it ended up on the um, the okay player joint um because i i did believe uh, a, a lot of people needed to hear it and a lot of people have that experience like everyone who hasn't doesn't have bills i mean shit everyone's got bills and that and that was such a long time ago and i saw you recently celebrated 15 years so congratulations thank you it's crazy that i really appreciate that yeah it's um it's been really it's 15 years of even you know quitting a day job which that i think that's maybe even more so the important part of it for me is like that was really the moment where um where i jumped you know and at that point probably still ill-advised because i really wasn't um you know, at the time that I quit my job, I don't think I was fully ready yet to do so. But I, you know, the heart was uh, was stronger than the head in that moment, and and I I really don't regret it because once I 
fully was able to dedicate myself to music like 100% of my time like I just took a huge leap yeah that makes I mean we could replace Uncle Sam with with you on the poster that's the very definition of the American dream it, it is in a way I think that um, I think that you're kind of you know I don't, I don't know how it is growing up in the States I grew up in, in Holland but it you know I think I think your parents and people in general will tell you about job security and, and stuff like that and and I, I, I think for myself, what was always much more important is that I invested in myself because I knew that, you know, I, I knew that music was going to be a long shot. And, and, and I was very aware of that, even, even when I was really young, just because I think everybody knows in a way. And so I, I always had in the back of my mind that it, it really would be sort of a winning a lottery, you know, and then it turned out that I, I bought some really decent lottery tickets and, <laughs> you know, it, 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 I guess it, it, you never do know, but it was really, um, and I'm, I'm kind of meandering here a little bit, but it was even for me at a time where I really kind of already had given up on music once or twice, um, in, in various stages of my life, just again, because it, it can be really, really hard to, to, to take something that you love, that you have a passion for and turn that into something that sustains you. Um, that's a big, big challenge that, that, you know, I, I think I still struggle with to this day to, to some extent, you know, the fact that that's something that you have a passion for now, that's something that you got to do even when you don't feel like it, you know, and that's, that there's a lot of things that changed when I started doing this professionally. But I think at the end of the day, what really made the difference for me is again, just the, the sheer time investment of being able to do music 24 seven. I think unless, until you make that decision to fully commit yourself, you're not really going to be able to really transcend that sort of like level, you know, and, and um, I'm glad we did. I, I, I heard something where Jerry Seinfeld says where he's always thinking about bits, even when he's spending time with his, his wife and kids, He's always thinking about bits twenty four seven, and sure. uh, he he doesn't think of that as daunting or exhausting. He says, "This is what needs to happen for me to be the best at what I am. It needs to be all day. I need to live it, drink it." There's something about it that I do not enjoy, which is that I cannot hear a song without dissecting the mix, you know, or like like listening to the arrangement, or I can essentially lo- no longer listen to music as a listener as a layman and that can be challenging because you do find yourself every now and then just turn into a cranky old geezer that just <laughs> hates everything you know but and, and it's normally for a good reason I'll, I'll have reasons for it but i'm just i'm it, it it is interesting that once you do this professionally and once you especially the way we do where we we feel at least a sort of an urge to be as perfectionistic as we can with everything, it really does never leave you alone, you know, and it, it, um, that can be a blessing when there's a lot of music coming out and that can be a curse when you literally cannot turn that off. You know, people around you don't always appreciate that either. (laughs) Well, what was it that like kicked off this magnetic attraction that kind of allowed you and Fonte to start working together? Cause I heard you had like a parliament Prince funkadelic inspired music that you were working on which i mean you said you grew up in holland that that's unusual right for to be influenced by that kind of music in that part of the world the funny thing is that it isn't um it is on paper but like it isn't when when i grew up there were a couple of factors in 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 me being exposed to to that kind of stuff yo mtv rap started airing there relatively early on and that was something that i started watching pretty much religiously from, you know, it must have been literally the early 90s. And so I know that that even though I was in Europe, I was getting 
the latest hip-hop videos, like 24-7. It really was hip-hop that sort of, for me and for everybody, I think my generation was the gateway into all the other genres of, of funk and jazz and R&B and you name it. And, and Parliament Funkadelic specifically has always been sort of a, um, that, that's my Bible, if you will. Parliament Funkadelic is, is sort of my religion in the sense that they're as close to, you know, a, 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 a universe and a, you know, a creation myth as I'd like to like to take it. And, and I think that once I once I went down the Parliament Funkadelic rabbit hole and, and got into, you know, funk and jazz and soul and really it it I think, long story short, that is really the music that I have in my blood, even being from there. You know, it was a really odd sort of thing because my mom is, is, is the music fan in my family and she's she really likes everything, but she did have, you know, Stevie Wonder records and Nina Simone and stuff like that. So I grew up with a little bit of it, but but there's some of it that is that is essentially my own and even me loving Prince as much as I, I do and from such an early age on like I really must have only been you know 12 years old I think all of that really cemented for me just a, the, just a love for anything really that has that sort of funk and jazz sort of foundation I like that I like that era because the creativity was fueled by like uh, Robert Johnson selling your soul to the devil to get better at guitar or Jimi Hendrix or Funkadelic was their creativity came from drugs and it, like did you even hear about that recent lawsuit against uh, I think it was Funkadelic versus George Clinton one of the band members widow is suing him I'm very I'm very plugged in um, it's, it's Bernie Bernie's widow. So that creativity came at, came at a, a little price, I suppose. Oh, it, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I mean, the thing about George Clinton is that you that you realize like later on, and I'm I've had the privilege of actually meeting George a couple of times and and tour uh, with them um, when when I was still in Europe and and opened certain shows for them for them and for Bootsy and and um, you learn very quickly that like. That, that this sort of universe that you picture in your mind listening to those records is not really what is the reality. You know, and, and it really was not for those musicians. It was just, uh, they were being abused. Like, they were being taken advantage of. Um, I'm sure that their lives would have been very different had there never been a George Clinton. So you can't really... You know, I don't think you can really make it make a very cut, clear, cut and dry judgment either way. But it's very well known that he's like done people very wrong and and um, didn't pay royalties and, and and stuff like that. Pay people in drugs and just the most wild shit. I didn't know about that, but my takeaway from that is why sue forty years later? And then I realized, oh, he's on his last tour right now. Maybe he's making the most money he's made in decades, and this is a very opportune time to sue. I don't know. I guess that's the music business. That could that could be true. I think I think in terms of Bernie, his estate. I think they they've sued before. I think I think they are just they're one of the few. I think former members that are very vocal about it. Um, and especially when when Bernie died, I think he pretty much died penniless. You know, without a lot to his name. And it's 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 incredibly 
jarring that one of the architects of the P-Funk sound, which definitely Bernie was, um, without a doubt, you know, that he wouldn't have been able to share in, in whatever was the, was the, was the wealth uh, coming in. And I think, I think it just shows you, and it showed me definitely that like, and there's countless of stories like that, not just in, in funk, but it, it just shows you that as a kid, you're listening to music. You think these people are best friends and just making, just having the best time together, making records, you know, and you realize when you, when you find out more about it, that it really is not per se like that, that it's just a lot of questionable shit going on in the background. Was there ever any animosity between you and like Big Pooh and Ninth Wonder at the time, because it was an overlap between the Minstrel Show and Connected getting made. Not from my part. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, yeah, no, no, I don't think so. I mean, I know that like I know that there were fans that sort of thought I was like this Yoko Ono type like person. You know, what I'm this saying? homebreaker. Like, yeah. yeah, right. Like, <laughs> but, like it was the the irony of it was it was never going to be it was never going to be the same thing. You know what I mean? I think I think when Connected came out. You could say it was clearly a hip hop record, and there probably was a little bit more overlap um, during those days. But I think pretty early on, after we sort of developed away from that sound. But I mean, Pooh was very clear about it. He, it wasn't really his thing, like just like straight up. Like Pooh is more into like hard hitting boom bop hip hop, like straight up. Another one. Welcome to the track meet. This is how I run. Smile, just a little, have fun. Don't worry about a thing, cause you're chilling with the one. You know, I say patience is a virtue. Come a little close, girl, I promise not to hurt you. And so he, the point of shame thing for him wasn't really super well, like his deal, you know. And, um, and I can appreciate that. So it was it was early on, it was like, okay, this is Fonte and me really kind of, you know, cultivating something that is going to be on the side, whatever that means. Um, so no, there was never really that. And, and also at the time, Little Brother was the bigger fish by far, you know, like foreign exchange really was a side project and um and 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 little brother at the time was kind of at the peak of their career they were about to sign the atlantic and so no there was never uh, any of that and i mean you'd have to ask them to be sure but yeah that was my not so slick segue into yeah <laughs> right next episode is big pool on <laughs> but no no i mean the thing about it is like we've always had a very good report um you know Pooh has done stuff with us later on too you know in certain records and and over the years and i think i think if anything you know it it always was like it sounds a little cheesy but it always was like a big sort of family deal you know everybody has their own unique sort of thing and so there's really not people that are kind of stepping on each other's toes you know what i mean there's the division of labor is pretty clear and especially when the foreign exchange sort of moved into the more kind of r&b territory it was you know very clear that these are two very different um, flagships, you know. So you think that was a risk to take a more R&B route with those initial albums? I think it was a risk, but it was one that we were very eager to take, you know. So it wasn't like, I don't know if I'd call it a risk. I just We just knew that this could be literally like a red pill, blue pill, whatever. Yeah, it could yeah. literally be something that people either like dismiss out the gate and we are DOA or, or this could proved to be like a lane for us opening up into the future and it luckily for us it was the latter it wasn't me thinking like i'm gonna just push these envelopes and get this dude to sing for a whole album it was not really it was never discussed as much it was just like us looking back and being like oh shit this definitely 
you know, is a, is a bit different from what we did before, but it was like four years later too. So it was like, it, it felt like a logical thing for us. It didn't feel, it didn't feel like such a, such a shift that it would have been hard to sell, you know? Yeah. Risk might've been strong. I think what I, what I was meaning is like, like you said, you take a direction change and then you concoct it in a way to where instead of alienating people, you open yourself up to a larger audience. And if I look at the the discography of, I guess, the, the three or four albums you released from 2008 to 2015, each each album that you came out with has charted higher than the last. Now, whether or not you're happy with the music in each release, it charts better. So that's right, quite right. an accomplishment, you know? Right. And you got to say, you got to put chart between, you know, air brackets. You know what I mean? I'm just sitting here. Because it's like, you know, we, we chart very humbly when we do. Those are little things that mean nothing to me personally, but at the same time do sort of vindicate like the, the decisions that you made, um, especially in the eyes of others, you know what I mean? Because for my parents, for instance, there's nothing that argues with something like a chart, you know what I mean? That's really very cut and dry a way of saying like that worked out, you know, it's just like the evidence right there. We personally, Fonte nor I are very um, chart driven people. You know, or even, even I remember, like, I've never really been, I've never really, um, had the, uh, ambition to, to be a charting artist in the, in the, in the, in the top tier of the sense, you know, I think, I think Fonte and Nita, I think that's one of the reasons why we've always been fairly content just staying under the radar is because neither one really wanted to, I think, wanted that level of, of success. You know, I think I've always defined success as, if if I can make the music that I want to make and I have literally nobody like bothering me about it and I can release it, then that's really literally enough for me. And if I can pay the bills doing that, that would be a, a nice bonus. You know, that's how I defined success when I was 18. And I, there were albums, in, I mean, real talk, you say what you're saying and that's very true, but there were albums along the way that people really had a harder time with. Like uh, Authenticity was an album where at the time people just really felt sort of having a hard time connecting with it. I think I think that was largely because it was the point of the album. So it was like, you Mission know. accomplished, and, yeah. Yeah, right. On the one hand, we're like, okay, I'm sorry that you feel that way. But on the other hand, I'm like, yes. You know, like we, I mean, it, it's funny to say it that way, but we really wanted that to be an album that was a little bit of a line in the sand. And not necessarily for anybody else, but just for us. Like that was literally where we were at the time. And we've always felt strongly that that the music that we make it it really does reflect who we are and and where we are at the time. And it may not always be autobiographical, lyrical content or whatever, but there it but it does. Our music literally does tell you about where Fonte and Nicolay are at that moment in time. You know, and Authenticity was that record where you know we really took a little bit of a darker turn. You know, because of a, a couple of things happening in our lives and. Um, and you could tell that people were just like not instantly totally sure what to do with it. Now, like 10 years later, that's the one that people, that's kind of like the, if you're like a connoisseur for an exchange fan, like if you have surpassed sort of entry level, like authenticity, that's your jam. It's kind of like the rite of, of passage now for fans. You know what I'm saying? If you like that one, like you're, 
you're you're in you know you're you're hardcore yeah and i'm sure your thought process was like well people are buying less music maybe record stores are disappearing but not only in 2019 is that not true but records like leave it all behind are actually getting repressed and remastered so now you're benefiting from the digital age of streaming but also i guess the commercialism of a once absent format making a resurgence that's huge that is that is that is huge now like i I, i'm the first to say the resurgence is part that's part media narrative okay like for for smaller uh, enterprises like us like like manufacturing vinyl is a huge deal because it's incredibly costly and it takes forever it literally does take forever um so it's 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 for for smaller guys like us it's a little bit harder to directly um benefit from it but the good thing about it is is that like it is incredible to see that not only 10 years after the fact is there still interest in an album like that but but you're introducing new people to the album now that were not maybe listening like when it originally came out in in 08 young people come in new fans coming in that you just know based on their age were not around for connected like straight up you know maybe not even for leave it all behind but like like new new blood you know and that's there's not much more thrilling than that when you when you realize that you've been doing this for a minute and you've kind of set a lot of things along the way and um but there's still there's still ways to reach new people mainly because there's new people being born it's incredible my opinion whether or not you guys make good music doesn't matter because it's proven with with what you just said i mean and also grammy nods so i don't want to dissect the music as as much as like okay well two guys hooked up on a message board this guy makes great music this guy's a force behind the mic i think it's deeper than that because over a decade later you're still together he calls you you'll still pick up the phone right how do you how do you make sure that still works how important is it for two people to share the same basic philosophies about music and the industry it is funny because we just i just got off the phone like we were talking for like an hour about the new imac but uh, <laughs> um, it is really important man i think it's really crazy like the thing that i don't and i'm not we don't really reflect on this a lot but it's a, it's an incredible partnership that i'm very very thankful for and um like for one i don't know that either one of us would have thought that in 2019 like not only would we be still, you know, working together and stuff, but we've built up a lot. We've built up a label together, really kind of an entertainment empire, uh, you know, on a smaller scale, but still we've, we've really built something up and it, it, it really has been us, you know, and, and just if there's one thing that I'm incredibly proud of is just the trust that, that we have developed because you're talking about things like royalties and money and opportunities. And it's very easy for even the best of friends to, 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 to you know experience problems when something like that comes into play you know what i mean and um that was partly obviously the reason why those early records were great even though we never met it was just we really sort of had that thing from the from the start and it's um it's really 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 hard to explain especially you know the further and further we go but we're um we're going strong still and that's that's incredible. I get it. I think I get it because, like, I have I sit back and I have this fantasy, like, well, what about if, like, a year or two from now, two people hooked up via just going through the guest list on my podcast, like the OK Player message board used to be, like Tanya right. Morgan, Don Will, and Von Pia, they they hooked up from yep. there. So it's just like it's not just the early '90s thing, and that can be a that can be a 2020 thing. It's, it's just, uh, it, it's a very organic, cool way for people to. Connect. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's in a way, I mean, I, you know, I don't think we were the first, you know, for sure. I think we were, 
among the first, but at this point, that's how records are being made. You know, that, you know, nobody gets in the studio together anymore. You know, that, I mean, of course people still do, but, but the larger, the larger group of, of sort of independent artists, artists that, artists that are coming up that are making music on their laptops, you know, and, and, and making great music on their laptops. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, that's the whole point. You can make great music in your bedroom. You've always were able to, I mean, it's never been, it's, you know, I think, I think the term bedroom producer sort of implies that there is a, a sort of an amateur factor, but really that, that is not fair. I think to, I think those bedroom producers that have taken it, you know, as far as like a Def Punk or, or back in his early stages, or, you know, I think, I think that there's, that there's an immediacy to the expression that a lot of people that sign to fancy labels and that go and spend a hundred thousand dollars of recording budget in electric lady, you know, in New York or something like that. I, I, I think times have changed and, and, I think that people can nowadays make great records with, with $1,500 laptops, you know, and, and, um, I mean, there's a hit on the radio right now that is a, a very good example of that. The, uh, Old Town Road is actually the, the beat for that was done by a 19 year old dude from my home country, the Netherlands. Like he just sold a beat on the line and it just, the guy bought it and scored a number one billboard hit with it. There, there were Grammy nominations, and there, there was something that I noticed. So Foreign Exchange got nominated, and then Glaciers uh, was was trying to push a campaign for contemporary instrumental album. Right. And I thought you should have been nominated. Like Steve Gadband, uh, no, my, my vote would have been Glaciers. Maybe I'm biased because I'm talking to you, but <laughs> I, I, I love the album. What I don't understand, I guess, is like usually you have to like schmooze and massage the right shoulders to even be considered. Yeah. What What was? I don't. I guess I'm like I'm a music fan, so I guess I was a little bit frustrated, and I just kind of want to understand the process. Like, why was that nominated? Why was this project not nominated? And maybe even hey, even if you're nominated or you win, and there's not immediate benefits to that, so it's almost just like a a mixer to to put on a tuxedo and to uh, recognize Bruno Mars, Adele and Lady Gaga. And then you go home and nothing's changed. It's very, it, I don't know. That it's is very the, frustrating the, for me. You just basically summed up my Grammy. Experience. <laughs> when we got word that we were nominated, we did decide to kind of go all in with it, you know? And so we, we hired a PR guy and we went to the red carpet thing and we did the whole nine. And I think I'm really glad we did because it, it's a unique experience, you know, but it, it, it also is a um, it's a popularity contest. We always, again, we're bedroom producers. The Grammy is going to be the furthest from your mind. You know, there's just no connection there between a bedroom and a Grammy and the Recording Academy. So we never really gave that too much thought. But essentially, every now and then, like good music can surface in those um, circles. And we were lucky that we had people that liked the record that um, made a case for it. I, it definitely gave us, I think, a um, a really great story to tell the world. Like, look, we're we're legit. You know, we're not we're we're for real. We we got a Grammy nod. You know, and my parents really loved it. You know, because it it's just a good hey, this is a good story. But but it didn't really you know change any. It definitely didn't change us. You know, because it really isn't. Again, we've never really elected to play the game like that, and um, so we also don't really depend on that type of exposure 
Um, but it, it's very true. It, it is, it is largely still, and I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm a Grammy, I'm a voting member and I, I care about the recording Academy. I care about, you know, advancing sort of certain ideals that they embrace, but, uh, but, it, but you have to be honest and say that it is a popularity contest and it is largely a, uh, just a, a sausage fest. And it's, it's, it's a number of things that I think are, are kind of, you know, outdated and, and sort of unreally just really no longer really fitting i think with the times again if you can make if you can make a record on a 1500 laptop there's really no longer a need for a grammy for technical excellence or something like that you know what i mean because it the playing field is so wide open that it it's almost impossible to now judge things against each other you know so it's 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 a bit of a toss-up and with, with glacier specifically i thought we had a good shot because it's it's a lane that we haven't really competed in before. And, but just like you said, there were a couple of heavy hitters in that, uh, in that category. So, um, I mean, Steve Gadd, I can't, you know, I can't argue with that, you know. I think we had the better album, but it's still Steve fucking get. So it's like, it's like, you know, let Steve get it. Well, it, well, with the charts and the exposure and all that, are, are you like winning over your parents? Because I, I got to imagine like, you know, you left a stable, soul-sucking corporate job to move to the States and they, they probably weren't on board with that. Yeah. So you're probably winning them over with each little accolade. And I think by the time they, they were on board by the time that I really like, you know, I really convinced them, like, this is ultimately what I want to do. And if I don't, I'm going to die miserable, you know, unhappy, whatever. Because the thing about it is, for me, I think I just never really truly have a, had a choice. I don't have another talent. Like, I literally do not. Like, the fact that I remember to breathe is just, in general, a miracle. Like, I don't, music is really all. So, for me, if, if music hadn't been the thing, yeah, I would have. I would have probably been uh wasting away somewhere doing a job but uh, my parents came aboard once i think they understood that i was serious about it because i think i think that's for parents you still want your kid to be okay and you don't want them to be a bum and and um and i think once they saw that 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 i was serious about it that i was willing to sacrifice you know for it and commit to it and 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 focus and really you know really do the work i think that's when they saw like okay this might but then they still were you know they're still going to be worried about you because they know like music. I mean, come on, dude, that's about the worst hustle that you could get into. Yeah. But I think you nailed it though. And I might lose you on this one, but I, I actually started this podcast to talk to people that are able to, uh, I, I don't know if you believe this, but like, I, I think we're all here to be put on earth to do something and excel at it and, and put in your 10,000 hours and like change the world. So like if oh, yeah. my daughter w- went to an Ivy league school and she dropped out, to juggle full time, I would be like, what? And then she juggled in front of me and I was like, oh, you're really good. And she goes, well, I'm really serious about this dad. I think the times of change were, okay, well, if this is your calling, maybe the universe is tugging you in a direction where you need to go. And I don't think everybody uh, has the capability to recognize it and then either follow through and pursue it. Uh, and then they just waste away in, in, in office jobs or they're in their car commuting three hours to a job they hate. So talking to people like you is right. just very inspiring. Well, and they have to understand that it's, you know, I mean, it, you, it, it's a trap. I always tell people it's a trap. Like when you're, 
when you have a credit card and this and this and that, and you, the more you sort of get sort of like sucked into that, you know, life, the, the harder it'd be to get out of it. And I think for myself, like one of the things that I did when I was still working is I, I told myself that I would limit the, the days that I would work for the man, if you will, to four, four days a week. And that fifth day was going to be my personal music day. So even, even when I still worked, there was one day a week where I was like, screw you guys. Like, I don't care what it is. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to be working on music because I know I still have that. I still have that iron in the fire. You know, I know that right now I'm not, you know, music is not my, my main gig, but I, I wanted to keep that that iron in the fire. And I think that investment in myself was, was something that helped me get over the top, you know? And I think, I think people are not always used to investing in themselves. You know what I mean? It sounds really silly, like, but, but, but when you have a talent, when you are good at something, and I'm not just talking about, okay, I, I can sing a little bit at the party. Like, but when you have a talent, like something that is objectively speaking, something that you're good at, you know, I think, I think it's very important to pursue it. Um, I think it's really important to, to nourish it and to grow it. Um, and the only way that you can do that is by, by using it. You know, there's really, that, that's why that those, those 10,000 hours come in. Um, because it, it is, it's kind of like a snowball falling down a mountain, you know? And that, that's why a lot of people, when they're working, they're like, yeah, I'm working on my mixtape, whatever, but I got the job and stuff like that. It, 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 that, that is literally where it stops because of the time investment. And the moment you say like, I'm gonna leave the job, what it is, even if it's for, you know, let's say you give you, yourself like half a year or six years or, uh, or, or like a year or something. But even if you say it's going to be a, 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 a limited amount of time, but just give yourself the time to nourish your craft and, and, and you'll see that then you exponentially get better. You get better really, really quickly if you do that shit every day, all day. And, and if you never get to that point, you'll also never know how good you really are. So it's, it's kind of a no-brainer, you know. And everybody, I think, that, that, that has some sort of urge about doing anything creative, you know, should ask themselves, like, am I, am I doing enough to invest in that versus just following the road of, like, well, I need, to, I need to save money in my savings account. I need to pay my credit card. Like, all that stuff It's important, but... That's not what life is about, you know. And I'm, I'm saying that from the relative luxury of having paid my credit card. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's, like, it's very easy for me to say that. But I will say I was on the other side too for a couple of years where I didn't know. Like I told you earlier, I kind of when I jumped, I kind of jumped, you know, too soon. And, I mean, looking back, I didn't, but at the time, I, I clearly did. So there was two or three years where I really didn't know how the month was going to end, you know what I mean? Or what was, you had some Williams. Yeah. Oh man. (laughs) Oh man. Oh yeah. I had several Williams. And I mean, and that, that, that really is something that I think when you're young, you can handle that. You know what I mean? I didn't have kids. I didn't have a family to worry about. So like, who cares if I eat ramen, you know what I mean? For a week straight. But it, but you, you have to do that for yourself though. You can't, you can't not do that for yourself. And if you suck, You'll find out too, you know what I mean? You'll fall flat on your face. Because I think it's important also to have the discussion of like, not everybody is destined for that. You know, like not everybody is a singer or a dancer or, and not everybody has to be, you know, it's not really, I look at, at, at being a musician in a way, to me, it's no really different than the, than than somebody who's a grocer or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm definitely kind of an example of a middle-class musician where I'm just, 
just make music and I just do my little thing. But it's 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 thanks to it's thanks to um, making a lot of investment along the way and definitely having some painful moments along the way where you really don't know, you know, how you're gonna pull it off. But like now, I'm looking at it and I'm just like, you know, I can only be happy, you know. And I think I think people sometimes don't they want to deny themselves that happiness, you know, knowing damn well that job at the bank is not going to cut it, but it, you know, it's yeah. so strong. You, you're being brought up that way. You know, it's so strong in you. Society tells you that you need to buy all the latest shit, you know, and then you need to rent a storage unit. <laughs> you can buy more shit. And yeah. like, God, man, like, nah, dude, that's not what it is. I almost want to insert like a 20 second pause now for everyone, for the, those words to seep into people's brains that are listening. And, for some, yeah. for some, and a commercial break. For, a commercial break. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's, it's, it's interesting because I, I think if there's one thing that is different for me, like growing up in Europe, it's like, it's just the massive consumerism of, of American culture. And it's interesting because I always tell people like I, I had this discussion today with my wife, like, if you work retail, what store would you be comfortable working retail in? And I was like, well, I guess I could do a Target. You know, I guess that's neutral enough. If I really, you know, if I really were forced, I could I could work at a Target. But, but <laughs> the truth of the matter is, like, I think I think I think there's there's people that would be super happy working Target their entire lives. Well, bless them. You know what I mean? Like. Who are we to say that that is not a great destiny in life? Was Glaciers more of a pursuit? Because I imagine you had more autonomy with the creator. Like, I guess the whole process was you send Fonte music, uh, he chooses, uh, and then that de- determines the direction. You could disagree. You could agree. But with Glaciers, I guess that's that's a pursuit. You're more at the helm, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. And I, I think – and similarly, when, when Fonte uh, releases a solo record, like I tend not to be involved – uh, other than on the you know on the back end with with manufacturing and stuff, I bet he asks you though, like, hey, what did you think? Every and now and then, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we are we're a sounding board, but it's also very important that we do stuff every now and then where the other is not involved, you know, because it 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 is important. It's very important even to keep the um to keep the relationship fresh. I mean, it sounds funny, but it really is a good thing that every now and then we we release our solo efforts and then we come back together. And with glaciers, the great thing about um, that record, but but even several of my previous solos is that it, they're really kind of more test tubes for more um, a little bit more adventurous ideas than I would do for the foreign exchange. But kind of like you said, I think it, it is a little bit more of a playground. For me. I get to test out stuff that that will, in some other form, maybe turn out to be a really cool, you know, lane for the foreign exchange. So they're kind of also compendium pieces in a way to some of those albums. With Glaciers, it was full on, you know, nerdery for me, no holds barred. And I've always wanted to do a, a kind of a fusiony record because I'm a big fusion fan, um, really big Weather Report and, and Return to Forever fan. And and while I didn't want to just do like a style copy, very much did not want to do that but I, I really wanted to do a project that sort of kind of you know I guess embodies like sort of that era of the, of the fusion group
drums, crazy guitar licks, and and um, so yeah, it's 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 full on nerdery, you know. So it's 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 I know what it is, and I also know what it's not, you know. It's it's um, instrumental music, which is you know some people find that um, a little bit more challenging to listen to, but it it came out really good, and and I mean the fun now is playing it live, you know, with with the guys on the record when we do get that chance because that's another kind of completely different ball game in itself. on the keys and stuff like that I, 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 but I'm self-taught so I those guys like they literally just run circles around me every night after night and that is makes it so exciting it's kind of like you know how they always say that you should never be the smartest person in the room like yeah, yeah, that is yeah. me with the hot of nights like I'm literally just like trying to run for my life every night and it um, it, it, it goes better now like it, you know now that I've done it a, a, a few times with them because I'm, I'm not a big improviser. That's really kind of sort of the gist of it. I'm, I'm, I'm a bedroom producer. Here we go again. So I'm used to just using computers and sequencers and, and drum computers and stuff like that. And so now here I am, and, and these guys are just improvising away and um, and very, very adept at it. So that's been very challenging for me as a, as a studio producer, musician, is to just to open myself up to... To that kind of an experience where you literally go out there with no net and no, you know, not not a whole lot of preconceived notions and you just go out there and you let sort of the vibe guide you. And it took me a while to really sort of let go and allow that to happen. But it's it that's that's been a very fun process. Yeah, it will it, to let go. Is that freeing uh, or terrifying? Yeah, both. <laughs> but I mean really, really both. And I mean the the part about it, it's less it's ultimately the freeing part wins out, of course, as as most things are. You know, it's the same, I guess, as like riding a uh, an air balloon or like anything that you're afraid of that you're trying to confront is both you know scary and as well as exhilarating. And I, um, I've you know, I've always wanted. I never wanted to be a guy that sort of just kind of phones it in, whatever that means, you know, whether it's records or concerts. And so I've always believed, like, if if I'm asking the listener to, like, take a chance, then they need to know that I'm I'm taking a chance right there with them. I'm glad you said that, that, like, I don't phone it in. I focus on authenticity because a lot of people clamor for Connected Part 2. And there's a reason why Marshall Mathers 2 or Only Built for Cuban Links 2 or Lupe Fiasco's Food and Liquor 2, they're, they're not as good as the originals. And there might be a reason for that. Maybe I'll let you explain it because you might have an articulated theory, but I, I think it's tied to phoning it in or authenticity. Very much so. I, you know, movies is that's a good analogy because normally a sequel to a movie is trash. And then I was like, but The Godfather Part Two is kind of the best of the series, so it's not a great analogy. But it is true that there would be no point in making a connected Part Two for the very simple reason that I am fucking forty-five years old as we speak, I'm no longer 25, you know? And, and so I, th- I think what people don't understand is that it's not just notes. It's just, it's not just like snare drums and bass drums. It's, it's people of flesh and blood that are expressing themselves, you know? And, and when we were making connected, we were working, we were studying, we were first getting into relationships. We were unsure of what the future would bring. 
Um, and you hear all of that in the record. You know, there's it's definitely kind of a young sounding record to me. It it, it has that. And I think I think anything that we try to do at this point to try to sort of recapture that would just be plain pathetic, honestly. And yeah. and I think if it wouldn't be successful, I think it could hurt more than not trying it, which is ultimately what uh, what our strategy has always been. It's just like, I'm not interested in, in adding a chapter to that book. I'd rather just start a new one. And that's what kind of we've done every time, you know. And I'm, I'm honestly surprised people are still asking about it because it's been... It's been so long now that you'd almost think like, well, at this point, they're getting the hint. Right? <laughs> hey, if anyone asks you now, just revert them to this interview. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. Like, this, this, <laughs> but it, it, yeah, but it, it shows you. And that, I mean, I've been there have been times in my life where I've been really cranky about connected and, and the success. And because it I did sometimes feel kind of painted in a corner about it. But I'd have to learn over time that. um that it just means people really, really, really love the shit out of that album, you know, and you can't, you can't front on that. People really, 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 really loved that record when it came out. It was kind of like a pivotal record at the time in their lives for a lot of people. They were in college or whatever, you know, and, and, and I think, I think that sort of cemented the record as something very, very important in their lives. But again, that time is not coming back with or without us, you know, and I think it's, I'd much rather have somebody like say like I'm going to t- put on connected and sort of reminisce about whatever, than like ask us when part two is coming. You know, yeah. It's like, bro, I'm in my forties, dude. It ain't coming. <laughs> it is not coming. Like it's it's I not it's not coming. I, first off, I I know musicians probably get asked that all the time. Like, when's this coming out? When's that coming out? But I, I'll I'll just give you the floor and let people know like what you're working on and maybe what people can expect. That might be a better way to word it. Absolutely. Well, I think, I think what people need to realize that the foreign exchange, like for, for Fonte and myself, like the foreign exchange is kind of like our 401k, you know? So while I'm not going to make any sort of crazy announcements currently about anything, you can all, you can rest assured that there will always be something foreign exchange on the horizon, you know? And I think we're always working. We're always working on new music. I'm doing a lot of remixing this year, which I'm I'm a big big fan of, because um, it's really just a very different process for me, and I get to experiment with a lot of new tools and stuff. So I've been doing a lot of that. Um, I'm working on on several projects actually as we speak, um, and while I can't really divulge any details, I I I I, I can honestly say like we're keeping it moving. We're very excited about you know the stuff that we got coming. And, um, I mean, I'm just stoked for the next 15 years, honestly. And I never really thought I would say that, but like, I'm really, I'm really just stoked to keep this going. I mean, I'm, I'm super, I'm super excited. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm as excited now as I was 15 years ago. That sounds kind of crazy, but it, it, even with the landscape changing, the streaming, the, the, just everything kind of going in different directions. It's, it's a, it's an unsure time, but it's an incredibly exciting time in terms of uh in terms of opportunities to to push your music out there into the world you know and i think um i think we should all try to take advantage of that cool man well i hope i don't have to wait another 15 years to get you back on the show man i really enjoyed this thanks so much for your time i appreciate it thank you very much for asking i'm i'm uh, i'm very uh, i'm very glad you did and I'm, i appreciate uh, getting this opportunity are you man every time i get a water bill or a gas bill i think of you i'd like yeah right. <laughs> the williams <laughs> is, that, is that a good thing to be associated with 